Hey guys, and welcome to season three, episode 13 of Couch in the Mind, clearing the mind one couch talk at a time. On today's episode, I've got David Pestano Sims, passionate Arsenal supporter, joining me in conversation revolving around the topic of pride and passion. How's it going, David? Yeah, it's good. It's good. How is it going down under, as they say? It's it's finally kind of getting back to a bit of normality. I think it was a couple of days ago that they've actually lifted the the mask requ- restrictions, which it, it it feels really weird. I'm, I'm walking around in public and I can't I kind of feel half naked to be honest. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Um, obviously, we had it we had it early. We had it really hard. Um, everyone's got their own ideas. The politicians, the general public, yourself, how it all should have been done or whatever. Mm. But you know, like whatever it was a it's it's a biological virus war shall we say or whatever so you know it's going to affect everybody and i know that's the reason why we're here today Absolutely. but you know um, life life and certainly covid has amplified um the problems that people can have it's literally turned it up to 11 as they say because um you know and we've all been put into that boat there's nobody i don't think unless you are you know the head if you can afford to leave the planet on a, on a space spacecraft then maybe it doesn't affect you <laughs> the rest of us mere mortal um it's going to affect us and um yeah i mean i live i was lucky i moved out of london just over three years ago uh best yep. decision i've ever made in in my life um i live in the countryside now i live in somerset so um it's not too bad to get up to the arsenal at all but i mean during lockdown it was it was it was great i, I was you know i was in the countryside and i felt so sorry for all those people that a lockdown in cities, I mean, um, around the world. It must be, if you're living in, you know, London, New York, Sydney, whatever. I mean, I've been to Sydney, it's beautiful. I'll be locked down there anytime. But, um, you know, it, it's it's difficult though. It is difficult and it affects everybody in different ways. It's, yeah, so true, David. I think sometimes in, in, in certain circumstances, like you said, in London, it would have been worse, worse off than where you, you're based off in, in the countryside. But I guess sometimes you've got to look at and you might have to do a little bit of digging, but you've got to find the the good out of the bad. You know, that yeah. there are there are sometimes a lot of you know there are a lot of positives that but they're just very well hidden. You know, maybe yeah. maybe it's giving you that opportunity to work on yourself or or just be at one with yourself rather than just running around all the time. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think a lot of people I know, and obviously I've still got a lot of friends in London and the south southeast, um, but they used it as a reset. A lot of people used it as a reset. You know, and to begin with, it was a shock. But then after a while, people decided, you know, that they couldn't go to work. They couldn't do this. So they'd spend more time. They'd go out walking. They'd go and spend more time with their kids, with their family, you know, whatever they could do. And, um, and so there is positivity out of that, out of all these things. There always, there always can be. You're absolutely right. And people, you know, maybe read more and they look into things and they, you know, they pick up a new passion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, a lot of friends of mine, you know, st- uh, started painting and writing and writing yeah, books. Yeah. And all these things that they never would have done. And a lot of people I know have come out of out of the lockdown, the, the certainly the first lockdown, in a positive way. I think by the time we got to about our two and a half, two point five lockdown here, people, that's when the cracks really started to show. I, I, I know for myself, I was like, oh my God, it's bleak, it's dark, it, it we're going again. What is going on? You know. Mm. Um and I, and I think that that really was that really sorted out a lot of people. I think it was incredibly hard. Everybody went in the first lockdown and felt positive about it. And let's get through this. And if this is going to help, this is what's going to be good. But then I think by by, you know, lockdown, then we had the lockdown around Christmas time. 
last, you know, just gone. Yep. Or just gone. Isn't it amazing? I say just gone. It was 10 months ago, but it feels like it, it was yesterday. It feels that way, yeah. Um, and then going into the springtime, we had that lockdown again, which which sort of really started dragging. And the weather wasn't too good here in, in the UK. It was amazing. When we had lockdown last in, in 2020, we had summer, you know, I know comparable to, I know my Australian friends are going to laugh now, but for the UK, <laughs> it actually was, you know, we were getting 23, 24 degrees C. You're kidding me. That, that, that's pretty, that's pretty hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was hot. It was, there wasn't a cloud in the sky for like nearly four weeks. The blue sky, I've never seen it. And it was wow. all down to, you know, the planes not flying and, and the mm. roads not full. And, and it was a real difference. It was like a utopian difference of, of landscape. And, I'm a photographer, which I'll just drop in. That's that's my background. And I really noticed it when I was out. You know, I really embraced my photography and I was out walking miles um, around my local area, um, taking pictures of landscapes and things. And I really noticed it. The weather was different. And that, gave, in a way, was gave, gave people a lift. But then when you go forward to February this year, when we went into 2.5 lockdown, it was dark, dull, and there was no sign of spring. Mm. And everybody... Had, had no money and they, they were thinking their prospects weren't going to be good and that was when it was the darkest really really dark and um you know it was um yeah it was it was difficult for people it was difficult mm. to be uh, for people to get through that I, I totally understand it you know and kind of going off you know when, when we do go through very difficult periods we wean on certain habits or, or hobbies of ourselves that that pick ourselves up you know for someone who, who might be interested in going to the gym you know, you might do that three or four times a week, or in the instance when you're locked down, you, you'll you'll do a bit of body weight exercises every you know every couple of hours throughout the day just to to pick up your mood and get, you know get that endorphin kick. I know for a fact that you know watching sport, you can kind of get that same sort of kick as well. I'd love to ask David, just flipping back to to the topic of, of today's episode. Where did your passion for the sport and in, in, uh, the club in Arsenal come from? Was it a part of your family growing up? Well, I mean, long story short, I, I started following Arsenal uh, when I was about five, six years old, wow. um, mainly because my, 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 my brother was supporting uh, Manchester United and um, I didn't want to support Man United. I, we, we lived in the north of England. We didn't live in London. I'm not a Londoner. Um, I'm, we didn't live too far away from Liverpool, so I could have made that big mistake. <laughs> but... Um, you know, um, and my my mum was from London, so so when it all came around to it, it was like you know why do you, my mum was saying why do you support a London club? Why do you, you know the Arsenal were great? Why do you support yeah, yeah. them? And uh, and so I sort of you know started looking at we had we had comics and little pamphlets for all the youth out there, so literally like little fancy little comics and things. And and the Gunners had a, a cannon, and you know there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is, there there's it cannon. Is. Um, yeah, and so I just got into them, and then, then very luckily, during the seventies, we were actually quite good. You know, I think um, giving my age away, but in seventy nine, I was fifteen years old, and obviously we beat Manchester United in the FA Cup, and I was, and I watched it on the TV. I didn't go, obviously, and that was it. I mean, I, you know, I'd go to school, and and I would be stoked stuffing my Man United mates with the fact <laughs> that we beat them in the FA Cup, um, and then it was always a thing in my mind that as soon as I could leave. I was going to move to Highbury and I was going to live in Highbury. And I've made that decision from when I was really quite, you know, like around that time, really, the teenager, I decided I'll be moving to Highbury. And it took me 10 years, but I moved to Highbury when I was 23 and I lived, I could walk to the ground and I lived there for, oh, seven, seven or eight years. 
mm. and uh, mm. it was just fantastic. And then obviously through that going to going to Highbury, going on the North Bank, you know, and then we go on to the to the recent years and yeah, season ticket holder, and then you know the Invincibles and all those fantastic memories. Um, but during the time, and this is the important thing, is you it's the it's the club. The club changes its manager. The club changes its team. Mm. The club never changes its fans, no. and you never change your fans' family. And this is this is what I know you want to talk about. And this is really important: is that mm. I have friends now that I've known from the very beginning of my journey with Arsenal, and I'm picking up friends all the time. And obviously now with social media, it's easier mm. to pick up with friends. But you know, I have my core group of friends, and um, yeah, it's quite large. I mean, it's it's good, and and we all help each other out, and we've all, you know, we help each other out for work, and and you know, and it's just this sort of, it's it's fantastic. But also to say, for a long period, when I was going in the probably end of the nineties, beginning of two thousands, around that time, I didn't have so much of a family. I was still made you know meeting friends and whatever, and I'd hang out with these guys, and I had no idea what they did for a living, and they had no idea what I did for a living. And it was never even asked. And in fact, during the 2000s, I had quite an intense job. It was, it was, it was quite a difficult uh, media job that I had. And I loved the fact that when I went to the Arsenal, no one asked me, "Oh, how was your day? What happened this week?" You know, yeah. I like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you anyway. But I'm really glad that you're not even asking me those questions mm. because I'm just coming along to be in this family, have a couple of beers, go and watch the football, have a complete release at the weekend and not have to worry about all the trials and tribulations of real life that goes on outside yeah. the Arsenal enclave of this family, you know? So that was my very short, very long reply to your first question. <laughs> it's amazing what sport has the ability to do, I think, in, in, any, in any sport in general. I know because I'm a massive fan of the, the AFL, uh, Port Adelaide, mm -hmm. very community-based as well. You go down to South Australia, and I remember we went down uh, to this bar. It was called the Love and Tavern. And there was about 250 plus port, uh, port supporters. And my dad posted a couple of photos in the, in the port page, letting them know we're going back down to South Australia to watch the, the you know, round one of the game. And everyone's involved. You know, again, it doesn't, yeah, matter, yeah. it doesn't matter what your background is, demographic, age, what you, know, what, what you do for work. We're all here for the same reason. We want to see our team win and perform. And it creates that second family. Yeah, totally. I mean, and the thing is, I mean, you you talked about the celebrations in my area where where I sit. You know, I'm surrounded by the most wonderful guys, or nearly they're, they're Nigerian uh, origin, but you know, they all live here, and a lot of them were born here and whatever, and they're amazing guys, absolutely. And we've got Turkish guys, and we've got, I mean, people from all over the world. It's a real, I mean, Arsenal, wow. as you know, one of the most multicultural. Uh, clubs always has been 100%. going back to Wrighty, Rowcastle, way back, way back. And it's always attracted an amazing fan base, unbelievable, diverse fan base. And where I sit, we all hang out, we all, we all exchange stories. And, you know, and it's just over the time that we've been at the Emirates, and obviously these are all new friends from the Emirates, obviously, I only, only started having relationships, friends, relationships with them when we, we moved to the Emirates. And I do have a lot of my old hybrid friends that are sort of dotted around behind me. But the one thing is shame at, high, at, at the Emirates is it's difficult to put us all together, but mm. we, we work it out, we, it happens. 
you know, this is the amazing thing is that you, you, you have, I, some of these guys, I have no idea in this day, I've known them for 12 years. I have no idea what they do for a living. Yeah. We don't talk about jobs. We no. just don't do it. We, we get there and we talk about, you know, we might talk about what film did we watch this week or what was on TV or something. That is as about as out of the Emirates that we talk about. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about race, religion, nothing. We talk about who are we going to be signing? Who are we selling? Why can't we get better? What's going on? You know, how can we, you know, and other yeah. results and things, other signings. It's all about football and it's just lovely. And also the other thing that's happened this season, which has never happened before, is in the past, we'd all be going to the pub and we'd be hanging out and we'd be getting into the ground maybe yeah. 10, 15 minutes, sometimes five minutes before kickoff because you could do that. But now since security and COVID and, and social distancing and checks, we have to get in one hour before kickoff. Wow. And I've never got into a ground one hour before kickoff unless it's the, an FA Cup final or whatever. I mean, I have to go, we go in one hour before and we all make sure we all go one an hour before and we can watch the team warm up and we can chat through our problems and our things that are going on and, you know, and, oh, so-and-so is not here today because he's tested positive or, you know, I've got his ticket or whatever. And that really helps mental health because we spend that time now before the, before the, before the game and the adrenaline and the game comes in, we spend that hour. It's almost like, um, you know, it's like an hour of therapy, really. And it's wonderful. <laughs> it really is. And inadvertently, we do it. We, 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 don't, we don't do this. You know, it's not a decision. It's yeah. not something that I've really noticed and after you said about coming on here I really thought about when where does this when does this actually happen and I've, I've realized that inadvertently it's that hour before the match now and then also after the game well obviously we have half time but then after the game we normally wait around for about another half an hour to let everybody leave because we don't want to be going to the crowds and and also because we sit I sit in the very front row I can't get out anyway. It's impossible. I've got, yeah. I've got people that have got to leave before I do. So we just sit and we just chill, you know, like waiting on the aeroplane for everybody to leave to get your luggage. You basically, we sit there and we just wait and we just chat and we, you know, we say goodbye to the team as they leave and, you know, and we just pick it over. Usually get pinging that we've been on TV again, you know, and um, yeah. And, and yeah, and it's, and, you know, and then the case is like, you know, see you next Thursday or see you next Saturday or see you next Monday or whatever. Are you going to this game? And, you know, you're going away to that game and, you know, and then we just all sort of, you know, so, and it's, it's a lovely, you know, long afternoon or early evening few hours, you know, and um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I think it's one of those things where when you're comfortable, when, you know, you create your own safe space and that community where, all you talk about is sport and, and everything that's uplifting and it makes you feel the best possible version of yourself that you don't you don't purposely bring up these conversations, but they just end up coming up in conversation. You know, as you said, you know, in the past, you never went to the, the games an hour prior, but now you've got this hour of free time where you just bring up these conversations and, and it actually, it's, it's a healthy thing to do. And I, I think the more we do it, you know, the easier it is, it is to become and talking about these sort of things. Now, something that I did mention to you before we started this episode and you briefly just outlined then is that you're always at the front near the goals. Now, how, how, how did that come about? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I inherited, I, for the first season at uh, the Emirates, yep. I was in a different area. And my friend, um, John, who is who 
moved to um, New Zealand a dozen years ago. And uh, hi, John, I know you will be watching this at some point. Um, <laughs> he very kindly gave me his season ticket when he oh, left, wow. which was in the front row. And he chose the front row because he wanted to be near the action. Yeah. But again, the way that has developed, it's taken me 12 years to get my name on that season ticket now, which I've got after COVID, they, they basically allowed everybody to have a bit of a, a check and, and figure out because they wanted the right name on the right because they know that everyone passes these cards around. Because I was going to say that there's there would there would surely be such a big backlog of people trying to get in the stadium to watch the games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we don't have. I mean, the point is, we don't have um, yet COVID passport checks to go right. into the ground. Yeah, that's that's not the fact. The point is that the now the way they're designed, the way that people queue up, and the way they want people to be staggered, and the security checks you have to go through. It means that's the reason why you want to get there hour early and you don't want to be in a big, if you don't want to be in a big mosh pit of people, mm. get there early, basically. And people still come late and some people still come 20 minutes after kickoff, they're trying to get in because, you know, that's their mistake. But going back to it, so that's the reason why I ended up where I am. Around about seven years ago, they put the LED screens all around the ground, yeah. except for on my side, which is obviously the manager, Arteta's side. That's where I sit. And I sit down to the corner. So my section in front of me is where the subs normally warm up. And I have the best seat in world football because I have no screen, no mesh, no wire, no fencing, no, no, no uh, moat. You know, I've been away to Europe a, a lot and I've seen what people have to go through. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, David. Yeah, I sit there like in the best seat in the house, a red leather really beautiful seat that it's apply at Arsenal and I'm in the front row and I can almost reach out and as you know usually the football footballers are in our seats they come and jump into yeah. our where we and this has all come about time what really I think is happening is that um there's no contrary to urban myth uh, you know I do not pay the the uh, the media I am not friends with them I do not you know <laughs> I get, I get covered by BT, which is our, obviously one of our Sky Sports, which you probably will have heard of. Yep. Um, and, you know, and the, what's happened is it's all about content, okay? And at the end of the day, a cameraman, and I know because I, I'm a cameraman, a cameraman wants content. And in the beginning, he, they always look to where is easy accessible. And easy accessible is the front row. And easy accessible is that there's no moat, there's no wires and whatever. And they can literally, they can't go running around the other side because there's the LVD screens. Yeah, of course, they can't yeah. go further up to where Arteta is or where Wenger was because they can't move up there because there's too much stuff going on. So they look to the easy option and we were the easy option. But obviously, if they shove the camera on, on us guys and we all sit in there going, yeah, that they're not going to show that, are they? No. So we'd realised that, you know, I think going back, it was about 11, about 10 years ago. I think it was a night game. I'm pretty certain. And I think it was against Milan. And I think Van Persie scored. And we went absolutely mental and we got on. They filmed us. And then that went sort of viral a little bit around the fans. Like, oh, my God, wasn't this amazing? I think it went on the news and it went on BBC on the Maps of the Day and whatever. And then I think other people sort of looked into it and thought, well, these guys, where are these guys? They look great. And we've been used. I mean, our clips have been used in, we were in the Kick Racism Out advert. They've used us in, in so many things. And, and we're really proud of that. We think that's absolutely wonderful. We, we've talked about it, you know, the guys. We think it's amazing. And we are showing the love for each other and for our team. Then after a while, I just suddenly, I think it might have even been John in 
in New Zealand said, I think there was a game when I managed to go sort of 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 in and get all the clips on there. And he was going, I was watching it at work. I didn't, I had to watch the screen, but I, did, I didn't know what the scores were because I couldn't listen to it because of time difference. And he said, every now and again, I realised what the <laughs> He saw you. Uh... <laughs> and I suddenly thought, well, this is hilarious. So, so, then I, so then I thought, I'll just do, I'll just do the score all the time. You know, why not? And that's how Score Guy was born, basically. I mean, it's hilarious. There's one viral clip where you can see I'm actually bringing over Ramsey and, and Lacquer yeah. and actually bringing them over. And they literally run over and dive in. But then obviously the big one was the other week with, um, with uh, when Ramsdale wanted to go forward. It was the last minute equaliser against Palace. Arteta wouldn't let him go forward, but we managed to score the goal, equalise. They all went mental. They all came and jumped into our section. And all I remember was Ramsdale was literally in my face. Wow. And I was just basically grabbed hold of him and I said, what the are you doing here? You know? And I was like, what, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> you just run. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just going crazy. I mean, they just, they, they haven't had that physical contact. Again, let's talk about their mental health for a minute. They haven't, these are sportsmen. They haven't had that physical contact, that real euphoria. They, they're they sportsmen. Just, yeah, they live on that fans. And they haven't had that either. So it's sort of like a perfect storm. We want to express ourselves and they want to express ourselves. So obviously, you know, they're going to, they're going to come and dive in and, and, and it's sort of, you know, it's, 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 it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and long may it continue. I think it's, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. It's, it's a great release for everybody. You know, isn't it great though, when you've got the, the players showing that much passion, you know, you've got Aaron Ramsdale running from the other side of the field to jump into the mosh. Just to, yes. just, you know, just to yes. show his enthusiasm for the team. And I honestly think, you know, the addition of, of Ramsdale, Tommy Yasu, Ben White, they've, they've brought so much passion to the, to, the, you know, to the club again. Obviously, over the years, uh, where I've sat and in the beginning, um, you know, when we started to get a little bit known, yep. we played against Barcelona, uh, possibly the best game of football I've ever seen at the Emirates in the, in the Champions League. We won the yep. game. Our Sharvin scored the winner. It was mental. It was brilliant. At the at the ninety, we were all milling around, and uh, Chesney, who probably is my favourite goalkeeper at the moment, mm. he uh, he came running up to me and um, he gave me his uh, his gloves. Wow! <laughs> from from the game. My God! And um, and here they are. Um, which incredible. obviously I very quickly shoved down my pants because <laughs> I didn't want them taken off me. And then we went to the pub and we all wore them and drank Guinness and got very drunk wearing these gloves. Oh and um, yeah, these are the actual gloves from the game. And That's they've it. still got well. they've still got white um, white white uh, lime paint from the. But there you go. And he he came up to me and he went you make noise and he just gave them to me and I was going mental that night and he obviously saw me. I still don't know what to do with them. I have to have them in the cupboard out of sunlight at the moment. Use them as your, using them as your gloves when you're taking the bread out of the oven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One thing I haven't touched base on is, is, is bringing purpose to yourself. So as we touched base on before, we, everyone comes from different occupations, backgrounds, you know, some um, a bit more well-off than others. But in one respect, I do believe that sport in itself can bring a sense of purpose, especially if, if you're really struggling or you've lost a, a family relative and you, you don't really know what to do with yourself or how to get over that, that certain hurdle. But I think going and supporting a club that you love and you've always supported as a young, young kid, I think, I think it does have the potential of bringing that purpose to, 
to your life? Uh, absolutely. And this next part is I'll tell you a little story, which is my my mental my mental struggle. Yep. So over the years, I had a very close friend called Tony, and everybody that watches this, all my friends will know exactly the story I'm about to tell you all. Tony and I and our group of friends, we used to home and away Arsenal, more importantly, every single European game through our 20 plus years of going to the Champions League, we would fly everywhere. We had a lot of scrapes, we had a lot of fun, a lot of stories from Serbia to Athens so many times. My God, I mean, we went to Athens probably four times. I mean, it was just crazy. Wow. But we get to know people and he's just a lovely guy and he's so supportive of me. But sadly, four years ago, he passed away incredibly quickly. He had a problem with his heart that nobody had picked up on. Um, he had just had a baby, Alfie, who was only nine months old. Yeah, and he just, and he left us. He left us at 49 years old, as you could only expect. Yeah. You know, if Aguna's going to pass away, he's going to pass away on 49 games. He was 49 years old. And we sing his name. When we sing 49 games unbeaten, we always say playing football the Tony way, that all our group always sing that. And we've had thousands of people singing that. When he passed away, it ripped us all apart. I spoke at his, I did his eulogy at his funeral. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. We got a letter from Wenger, a personal letter from Wenger. I wrote yeah. to Wenger. And he, he sent me this lovely letter that I read out at the funeral. When Wenger left, if you go and go on Twitter, go on Google, you'll see pictures of Wenger when he left the field. He did his lap of honour. Uh, I threw him Tony's flag. This flag had been with us on every single. It was an old school logo of Arsenal, old yellow thing. Tony had had it for 25 years. We dragged it around every single corner of Europe. I threw it at Wenger and he picked it up and he put it out and he held it and he put it over himself and he walked off. He had no idea that was Tony's flag, but he knew it was Tony's flag. I threw it at him. It landed behind him and he turned around, saw it. Now, normally they just walk away. He picked it up and made something of it and walked off. I don't know where that flag is. I don't know what happened to it. Tony uh, Wenger took it. We supported Tony and his family through that we really put our arms around Betty his wife and we set up we had an auction of stuff we raised a lot of money to help them out you know he's got his name in one of the blocks at the Emirates and um, before big games I go and say hi to Tony I know my good friend Holger goes every game to say hi to him he's just around the corner from Henri in the wall there he was the true soul he was it took us a lot to get our soul our, our soul back at Arsenal really did after that because he was just missing everywhere I mean and I know also that we've lost a couple of other really close friends within not so much my inner circle but certainly in the in the wider scheme we've lost we've lost friends as well that I've seen on social media and I know it's hard for everybody out there it has been it's been incredibly difficult and people gunas have died of COVID I mean it is, it's, it's shocking. I mean, Tony's, Tony's was, like I say, four years ago, just gone. You know, we always go, we, the closest to his day of passing, we always have, we always call that the Tony game. And in fact, that was the Palace game. And we were all up there and, and oh yeah, I'm just getting a bit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very emotional. It was very, very emotional. But, you know, it, it gives, it gives that help, that, the, the help that all the family of all our friends give to, to all of us and, and to Betty and to Alfie is really real it gives everybody a focus it gives everybody a distraction it gives everybody it just shows that that there is more than just blood family there is there is that guna family it's the focus i think certainly alfie when he, as he grows up 
he will always know who his father is because we'll always be there to tell him and he'll always see the videos and all the all the stills and all the stories and we've all written stories about Tony and various things about what he's like and and if his son grows up to be anything like Tony we've all got a problem because this guy was a force of nature when it came to partying when it came to following <laughs> the but anyway so that's my that's my personal story on how football can regrow things like that you know we all have to grieve but we all have to grow as well and Absolutely. from that from that grieving and and we've all and we're still doing it we're still doing it it's actively happening we, we, it's you know we'll always miss tony it doesn't matter but it's how you honor somebody and how you can you can learn from that yourself going forward so tony look after yourself mate Dave, I really appreciate you being so open and honest and raw because it, it, it is very difficult when you have to sometimes have these conversations. And I think one thing that we need to remind ourselves for anyone that's listening in is is when we do go through difficult times, it's, it, it is a matter of knowing that we're not doing it by ourselves and that you know that external community that, that sometimes sport creates, there's no harm in reaching out and, and talking to, to a, fellow, a fellow fan or supporter you know, and expressing something you're going through. And then you get to that stage where you've got to, I guess, lay at rest respectfully and then and, and enjoy what we have in what we call life. Yeah, totally, totally. I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Going back to, to fans and supporters, when COVID hit and you couldn't go to the stadiums, I, I'm really interested to know how it, how it affected yourself, how if, whether or not it didn't have much of an effect I feel like it probably did because you, you've expressed to me that Arsenal and sport in itself is that second family. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, going back to the timeline for the UK, I know it's different in Australia, but the timeline in Australia here was, if you remember, I don't know if you do, but it was we had the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game, which was on the Tuesday, uh, I think it's just sort of like 20th of March or whatever, middle of March, say. That was on the Tuesday night. On the Wednesday night, Arsenal were due to play Manchester City in, the, in a Premier League game. Mm-hmm. And I had a ticket for that game. And it was, it was the first away ticket that I'd had for at least a season and a half. I was really, I've never been to the Etihad. I was yeah. really up for going up there. And I thought, you know, it would be good. We'll probably get battered, but let's go up there and, and go and give the boys some support, you know? That afternoon, Arteta got COVID. And, and in a way, he was the first person within the Premier League to get COVID that actually was officially was announced. And because then he pulled the plug, then shortly after that, there was no more, get- that, that, that was it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember watching that game. It escalated very, very quickly. Then all the games were off and that was that. And that was in the, the February. And then obviously, you know, Liverpool were top of the league and there was this whole thing about, you know, whether they should be given the trophy, whether they should be in the game, the season should be just scrapped, whether they should carry on. And so we had a whole period of three months. There was no fo- football at all. But then again, let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning. In a way, yes, we all missed it, but we all understood the reasons behind it. Mm. And also we were in the first lockdown, so we were all willing to go with it. And the weather was good and people were starting to walk and write poetry and do all these things. And I know for a lot of people it was hard, but then people realised that there was more things that, funny enough, were more important than football for once. Mm. And people started to really focus on that. And then obviously when the games came back, they were behind closed doors and they were free to watch, free to air, and we all managed to watch them. And then obviously people started to watch the games. And I must admit, I watched those first few games and I just, I thought it was terrible. I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I could tell the teams couldn't get into it. Performances were shocking. I was like, 
I, I couldn't, you know, I would literally be on WhatsApp or whatever, chatting to mates during the game. We're trying to sort of have a chat before the game and commentary and sort of, you know, and get a feel of it and, you know, have a beer at home and send a photo to everybody and try and get this sense of family back and whatever. But it, it, it just wasn't working, you know, it just wasn't the same, was it? I mean, I did feel really sorry for the Liverpool fans to, to actually go and win it and have to have the trophy behind closed doors and all these things. You know, and then obviously it was going to be a case that there was going to be a million Liverpool fans on the on the on the streets of Liverpool celebrating. You know, it, it didn't matter what they did. Football fans were going to come out, even in the lower divisions. There were there were people winning the championship and and the first division or whatever, and they were celebrating in their in their towns and cities. That was going to happen. You you couldn't even in the middle of lockdown. You weren't going to stop people. People say, "Well, find me. I don't care. We haven't won anything for twenty five years." I'm going out there and celebrating. In a way, they should have literally not, they should have just given, I know this sounds really controversial, but to stop all that and to stop the super spreading that occurred through that, they should have just given everybody, like when it ended, they should have just given people the trophies and that was that. People say, well, what about relegation? And we would have had a better chance and we had players coming back. Or null and void, which would have been terrible. Can you imagine if Liverpool had never won? They would literally have gone... That's it. They would have been rioting. They must have looked at it and thought they would have been rioting. I reckon the COVID outbreak would have been worse if they if they decided totally. to do that. Totally. And the other thing is, the one thing that we haven't really talked about as well is the whole banter issue of when other fans get together. And we've been talking about going to the games. We also need to talk about when you go to the pub, just to the pub and watch the games. Because I know yeah, that's sure. what you do, what so many other people do. Absolutely. And that's how... You know, it's the reason why I'm here is because you've seen me because of the TV thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right? it, that's so it. people go and then you get other fans. You get, you know, you might go to a, a pub and it's Chelsea, Chelsea Arsenal or West Ham. You usually don't get Tottenham Arsenal. It doesn't really work out very well in the same pub. I've had experience with that. I, would, I wouldn't be there. <laughs> we didn't just miss meeting up with our own fans. We missed up chatting with other fans about other things going on and winding other fans up saying, oh, you know, you're rubbish because you can't do blah, blah, blah. And it was... That, that was the other things that, that, that were missed. And then when the season started back and then it was Chelsea at home and I couldn't go to Chelsea at home because my wife got COVID. Oh, wow. And how was that experience for her? Yeah, she was fine. You know, she's double jabbed and she was fine. But the thing was, I couldn't go. And, and that really brought it home that it's still here. It's still very much here. So obviously it was a real decision to actually even go back to the games. If you are watching this and you're going to be going to any sporting event, whoever you support, who, wherever you are in the world, this has not gone away. I know a lot of people, you know, that conspiracy theories, it's not real and whatever. I assure you it is real. I've had friends pass away from it. I know people that have. I've, my wife's had it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I assure you it is, it is real. It's out there. Mm. It's interesting how you're saying it was, it was weird adjusting to the fact that at first you couldn't go to the games and then when they started to wean fans back to the stadium, you had to do the social distancing, wearing the masks, and the whole idea of celebrating when when we score a goal if we're performing well. You, you you can't you can't celebrate at the full potential that you usually would. But I think as a passionate supporter of a, of a club, after a while, you because it because it's not a, a normality that it's it's weird to us. But eventually, over time, I I kind of forgot the fact that there was no fans, and, and you know you want to support your club regardless of whether or not you can be there, and if the you know, the scenario in itself is really not the best sort of situation, but you will make light of, of what the situation is. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I think that the, there was some amusing points that came out of it. It's one that a lot of the broadcasters over here would put in fake cheering, which they'd actually had exactly. from yeah. from yeah from the computer game scenario. They'd have it so so that if if players were kicking balls in their attack, the the software they had knew that was a time for the fans to cheer, and it was amazing. It was almost spot on that they literally had this AI fans scary as hell. <laughs> that you can simulate, you know, and, and if there was like an incident, you know, a foul that wasn't a foul or an offside, you'd hear, you know, and it was just really weird that they were able to do that. Listen, football without fans is not football. No, it's like anything. No. Can you imagine if it, playing cricket behind closed doors with no one there, with oh, no one there, something like that, the Ashes having no fans there, no Barmy Army, no, no, no reaction, no build-up, you know, it's shocking. That's what makes the the Ashes. You know, us Aussies hate the Barmy Army. <laughs> it's, yeah. that, it's, that, it's that rivalry we love. This is something that I've, I've always thought about and I've, you know, touched base on, um, you know, certain fans that of your age demographic that have been around the scene a bit longer and know the history and the richness of, of the club that they're supporting. What frustrates me is sometimes when you get those bandwagoners, when we start to do really well and, you know, they supposedly know the club and inside and out and sometimes it could be from my demographic do you, do you feel like there is a difference between your newer generational supporters versus your demographic i mean look when we start getting in the top four and we win the premier league you're always going to get chelsea fans that are going to want to come and support in arsenal <laughs> right okay that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that. but um no i mean as i touched on before i i do i love the energy and of the new, of the new gooner coming through, and I, I love it. And I, you know, when I'm walking to the ground and I can see, and I look around and I see the, the certain age and, you know, and obviously there's a lot of kids go now as well. I mean, it's a very much family affair. I mean, it's not like it was at Ivory, you know. I mean, on a match day, you can see kids that are five years old, and you can see guys in their eighties, and you can see women from all different walks of life coming on their own or with their boyfriend or whatever or guests, you know, and it's just. It's a real family and it's a, it really is. It's, it, it makes for a fantastic uh, fan base. It really does. Mm. Regarding, the, regarding the young kids, Crystal Palace, I don't know if you, if you know of them or, you know, obviously Paddy's there now, the Great Vieira is there. Yes. But their away fans and their home fans are amazing. I mean, they are, they, they've been voted the best fans in the Premier League last season, I believe, or, well, not last season, but the season before. They are brilliant. Hats off to Crystal Palace because they have a, a fantastic away fans who are all very, very young, right? You know, these are all guys in the, in the teen years, yeah. early 20s. It amazes me that these guys have got the money to go to these games because it's not cheap. So there's a hell of a lot of financial commitment. So they're not just going for the fun and the adrenaline. Because they, I mean, they're, well, they're probably really addicted to it. They probably love it. It's probably what they do. And when you, when you can get a little bit of that and then a little bit of the older guys and the young, young and, the, you know, whatever, you, you come together. And there's lots of respect, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of respect through all the ages, because going back to what we said in the beginning, we're all one big family. And that, so yeah. you, you always you always have that respect. There's always going to be, you know, and I get in conversations with young people. Obviously, they, they come up to me and they seem they go, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and you're just, you're just chatting. And yeah, I mean, it's it's wonderful. Like I say, it's an amazing family. It really is. Uh, by the way, Gunas, happy Invincible Day for last weekend. But, you know, 49. The only time in real, I mean, I've done, I've been, I've been in away ends, but my biggest, my biggest one was um, Old Trafford when we won the league up there. A friend of mine who is a, who was the head security at Highbury, 
he managed to get his tickets and three of us went up there and we sat just up behind Ferguson, halfway up. Yep. And obviously we went 1-0 up. We literally just didn't move. And we obviously won the game. We won the Premier League. It was mental. My friend got out his camera and started taking photos. Now, why would you do that? In fact, that was John. John, who gave him, who, who, who I inherited his season ticket. It was him. So, John, you remember this. Started taking pictures with his, with his camera. And, of course, everybody just started coming down and trying to punch us because... Why would you? Why would you be as a Man United fan be recording the moment you lost your league, your the league to your rivals? It wouldn't happen. Quite obvious that we were we were Arsenal fans, but we managed to leave really quickly. And as we left, like a zombie film, really quietly sneaking out of people, a friend of mine who had run from the uh, away end ran around and came screaming up to us, "Come on, you gooners!" And oh, then just no. ran off. Oh, left no. in this crowd of like a hundred Man United players fans going left for dead. What did they say? What did and we were oh. just sort of trying to get out? And um, yeah, I mean it was um, but yeah, the Roma fans, we knocked them out of the Champions League on penalties. Um, they set fire to the stadium, they were burning. Holy we were shit. we thought it was Burger Van that was on fire at the other end. And then we realised that they literally had got all their rubbish, put it together, and they'd made four or five fires in the stadium. And we were being held in for an hour and a half. And the other side of the stadium was on fire. And we were like, okay, this is is a bit interesting. And obviously they had to go and put put the fires out, um, the fire brigade. But, um, you know, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, we've been, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of songs which chants that shouldn't be because they're not good. Getting back to the mental health issue. No, you shouldn't have the right to abuse somebody. Single out a player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Racism, abuse, whatever it might be, you know, homophobia, all these things. They can't, they can't exist in the in the in the game now, and they shouldn't have existed before. They really shouldn't. It was it was even when Bakaya Saka he missed the penalty. You know, he was playing for England, and you know, it's all over social media. It was just all the online trolling. Now, what what annoys me is the fact that. Just because he's got a darker skin, why does he, you know, why is that he's got a target on his back? It's it's ridiculous. Well, all of them. I mean, all three of them, you know, yeah, all, all three all of them. Three, yeah. All three. Um, uh, yeah, Rashford, you know, they were all targeted. And and I think we took a massive step back there. And it was it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And it was terrible it to put that pressure on the young kid. I'm so surprised. I thought it was over. I thought that's it. I thought Saka is gone. Mentally, I don't know how he's managed to come back. He must have unbelievable people around him. I know that when he went round the grounds... At the beginning of the season, he was clapped everywhere. He was clapped at Tottenham. Absolutely brilliant. Well done, Tottenham fans. I will say that. Lots of people realised we're not having this. We're not, we are not going to have this. We're not going to. And it definitely, I think you've got to go to a dark place before you come out of up to the light. Okay. And I think the incident with Saka, in very much a way, it really went right. Are you are, where are you? Are you are you against racism or are you for racism? You've got to decide. There's no sitting on that fence anymore. Right. No. And I think a lot of Premier League uh, fans came out and they realised that they need to. This whole taking of the knee thing, for me personally, I still really, I, I, it happened. I don't, I, I, I'm, listen, I'm not, I don't know. But for me, I think there's a lot more that could be done. I know it's symbolic. I know it's symbolic. And I think it's really great they're still doing it. But to me, I think we now, they need to come up with something that can take this even further forward. I'm the same with you, David, because, you know, it, it's good that, at the start of every game, they're taking a knee against racism, but it's for me, it's taking action against the message that they're trying to portray. You know what? 
what is the next step to be? Because doing that, you know, I've, I've even seen games where they rush it, you know, they do it really quickly and then the game starts. It feels like if it's kind of, it's, it's forced upon in, in the game itself. Whereas, you know, what's, what's going to, what will be the action? Yeah. Well, also, I mean, let's be honest about it. South Africa, the cricket team, the wicket keeper, can't remember his name, but they were told that they all had to take the knee and he refused to do it because he was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be told to do it. I do my own, you know, I'm anti, I'm not a racist. I'm anti red He wouldn't do it. Yeah. And obviously they dropped him and he, then he had to come out and do a statement and say, listen, I did it because I don't want to be told. It's, it's down to my decision to do it. And he probably would have done it. This is the irony. But when you start telling people to do something, that goes against even the modern era that we're in. Yeah. You can't be telling, you can't, you can't mandate that people are going to have this vaccine. You can't tell people to have the vaccine. You can't, you can't tell people to take the knee. It has to come from within because all you're doing then is they're doing it, but they've still got the same thoughts. It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, well, I took the knee. I'm not a racist, but you are. Yeah. Right? No, it's so true. I think it's really, really important that, that, that people, I would rather them say, you know, in a team, if someone decides they don't want to take a knee, go, okay, why don't you want to take the knee? And then let the person come out with their, their decision. They might turn around and go, well, because I'm a racist and I don't want to take the knee. We know where you stand. We know which side of the fence you're on and that's fine. Or they might come out and say, well, I'm up against it because I do this other thing. I want to do exactly. something more active and I've set up my own anti-racism group and blah, blah, blah. And I want to highlight that. And so I didn't take the knee because I knew you would interview me. And now I'm telling you about what I want to do, right? Because yeah. the media works that way. So, so, you know, in a way, I think you should just let people do what they want to do. And if they don't, if they don't follow the status quo and they, they want to do something else, then go and ask them why they want to do something else, right? Get them to admit it. Either they don't want to do it because they don't agree with it because they're racist or they're doing something else, but ask them and don't make it compulsory. It shouldn't be compulsory. Hey, one question before we wrap this episode up that I'd love for you to answer is that if someone, you know, who may be listening in, who's, who's never really supported a club as religiously as we are, you know, from, from the perspective of, of, you know, someone growing up supporting Arsenal at age five and still having that same passion for the club itself, what do you think is for someone to get involved into a club? You know, what can they get out of it? And, you know, with regards to mental health as well, what have you yeah, attained? I, mean, I think any age, any age you can start following sport. You can, and it doesn't need to be football. It could be anything, you know, it could be anything, basketball. It could be any, anything, anything. And so watching a sport, you realise it's a life lesson to get something, to compete, you need to put hard work in. You need to put the hours and the graft and the training in. Right. And I think when you watch a sport, you think, well, we're all human, surely. These people are not, even Ronaldo, who looks like a superhuman, who probably is an alien, but we don't know yet. It's not been confirmed. I'm pretty certain he's still a human. He's still got the love in his Easy phone home. Yeah, exactly. But most of us are humans. And so the ability, so it gives, following a, following a sport, will give you these things. It will give you the focus in your life. It will give you a drive and it will give you a, a sense of belonging with that team, with that team supporters, with the squad, with the history of the club, look into the history of the club, find a little bit about how it, how it all came about. There's some amazing stories. Go and read about how Bayern Munich became a club. Go and read about how Barcelona became a club. Those two stories are fascinating in the, I'm not going to say what they are, but they're both unbelievable, draped in history throughout the uh, 20th century. And absolutely amazing stories. Don't go and read about Tottenham. It's a very, very small <laughs> um, 
Yeah, don't waste your time doing that. Following football, following any sport, will give you adrenaline. You will, you will learn lessons. You will lose games. You will have dark days. You will lose them. It will give you a real sense of being able to... It's almost like being able to lose and you feel it and you grow from that. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I really feel like I've, I've lost, you know, I've lost the game myself. I, you know, I remember now. I know what you mean. Yeah. And the other thing, most importantly, and as my good friend Tony would say, always, you've got to keep the faith. You've got to keep the faith with your team, always, even the darkest days. So there's always faith and there's always a possibility that you can turn it around and then go above your biggest rivals if you have the faith and the desire. If, if we had the time, we could probably sit here all day and just talk about this. <laughs> I love it. But, mate, I really appreciate you taking your time, just sharing your story, being really open and honest about having lost your, you know, a good close mate of yours and, and just show, showing the fact that when you are struggling, sport in itself can have such a positive impact. And, you know, in, in the second community or second family that is built around the, the club that you follow. So. That's about it, really. Absolutely. And um, and if ever, anybody is watching and they want to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm scoreguy at Highbury High. So you can uh, come on there and uh, follow me on there. Again, David, I really appreciate you taking your time. It was just really, really fascinating getting your perspective. You're someone who lives overseas in England, just getting the perspective of what what it is like to, to experience you know English Premier League football on a regular basis and, and what it has done to you as a positive. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Keep the faith, everybody. All the best, guys. So, guys, this has been episode 13, season three of Couch in the Mind, clearing the mind when Couch talk at a time. And on today's episode, I had David Pestano-Sims joining me in conversation around the topic of pride and passion. And as always, guys, if you want to get into contact with me, you can get into contact with me on my Couch in the Mind website at www.couchinthemind.com. If you guys enjoyed this episode and you're after more Couch in the Mind content, feel free to check us out on Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, and many other audio platforms. And as always, guys, if you need anything, feel free to message me on the Catch in the Mind Facebook page. Thanks again for tuning in.